Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. Brian McClanahan Show, episode 678. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B R I O N. McClanahan.com. While there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to McClanahanAcademy.com. You've already heard about that. Also, click on that super thanks button underneath this video if you like it on YouTube. You can click on the support tab at BrianMcClanahan.com, throw a few pennies my way. Click on the shop tab at BrianMcClanahan.com, get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Those are all great ways to support the show financially. You can also become a member at anchor.fm. A subscriber there. You can support the show that way. Lots of ways to throw a few pennies my way. Of course, McClanahan Academy is the best. You get great classes. And, of course, you keep this podcast free of charge. You can also send me those show requests. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally, acting locally. Those are great ways to support the show. Grow the audience that way. I do appreciate everything you do in getting the message out. And this is a Think Locally, Act Locally episode. I just saw this today as I was perusing the news. It's a business insider, and it's about a convention of the states. And so one of the things I like to talk about on the show, of course, is what the states are doing or what people at the state level are doing to try to rein in the general government. Now, what that means, of course, ultimately, as we think about this, when you think about the structure of the federal government, and of course I have a great class on this at McClanahan Academy, American Constitutions, what this means in terms of the structure, we have a federal government that was created by the people of the states and by the people of the states in their states. It wasn't created in the aggregate. I saw that somebody attached me in a social media thread. Uh, they were arguing with someone. I don't, I don't get involved in these, but they were arguing with someone. I did read it where one of the individuals said that, uh, that if a state left the union, uh, that they would have a, a probable cause to go in and uh, forcibly for bring that state back in because that they owned that state even if they didn't live there. This is just stupid. It's stupid because uh, unless you are a citizen of that state and paying taxes in that state, you don't own that state. You don't own the private property in that state. You don't own the state property in that state. Nothing. It's not your state, right? But this is the mentality that people have where they think the United States was formed in the aggregate by the people at large. It's a John Marshall myth. It's an Alexander Hamilton myth, but more John Marshall and McCulloch B. Maryland. And of course, it's a Lincolnian myth. This is the real issue with all of this. The, the people of the states ratified the Constitution, and the people in conventions did that in the states. And not only that, the 
States themselves sent delegates to the Philadelphia Convention as ambassadors, what John Adams called them. And of course, in the Articles of Confederation, that's what they did all the time. If you look at the Union as a continuation of what it was before, which it is, right? I mean, they said it's the Constitution says in order to form a more perfect union. A union of what? A union of people? No, a union of states. And so the idea was to maintain the union from the Articles of Confederation. It's nothing has changed there. This is this is where you know people miss this. It's not a it's not a union of people, it's a union of states. And so because it's a union of states, it's a federal system. And of course, the clearest evidence of that is Article 5. Article 5 allows the states to completely abolish the system if they want to. They don't even need permission from the federal government. That shows you that the states and the people of the states have all the power. Right? The, the states can call a convention. They can call a new convention. They could abolish the presidency. They could abolish the Congress. They could abolish the Supreme Court. They could do anything they wanted. They can make anything happen that they wanted. They could abolish the union. They could say the union is no more through a convention of the states. Now, again, they could even set the mechanism on how to do it, right? Because we know in the Philadelphia Convention, it only took nine states, whereas the Articles of Confederation decided that it, it, it needed a unanimous consent to change the articles, all 13 states. But the Philadelphia Convention decided it was only nine. Why? Well, because the people of the states could ratify this. They could say, all right, we're scrapping that and going with this. The new convention, if the states called a convention, can say it takes five states to abolish the entire system. That's all it needs, or just a majority, right? We only need 26 states to do this. 26 states can get rid of the whole thing. So the states get to decide how all this works. It's clear from the structure of the Constitution itself, this is the case. Now, I want to talk about this piece because there is a lot of momentum now, at least people are saying, surmising there's a lot of momentum, for another constitutional convention, a convention of the states. This is the Article 5 convention idea. And the Article 5 convention would be a, an interesting thing, right? It would be an interesting development historically. What would come out of it, I'm not sure. You could try to put parameters on it, but of course, again, the states can really do what they want. This is always, and I talked about this recently in another episode, this is always the fear from conservatives you would get what's called a runaway convention. You would get a bunch of lefties coming in there and they would try to push language or uh, you know, uh, articles of a new constitution that would be dangerous to uh, decentralization or they would try to push a socialist agenda or a communist agenda, whatever it is. I mean, this is what the John Birch Society warned about. This is what Phyllis Schlafly was always concerned about and why she was always against these things. I'm not so concerned about that because we already got that, right? I mean, I think it would be better to have a... If we're, if we're going to treat the United States as a national entity, it'd be better to have that written in black and white than simply as you know something the courts have done. And um, I've talked about this again, but there, you know, the debate between Don Livingston and Alan Gelzo at the University of Virginia, when Gelzo stands up and makes all these nationalist arguments for the Constitution, and Livingston's response was, well, that's true if we really had a national government, but we don't. And so none of that's true, right? So, I mean, if we had a national government in black and white, there's no, dis there's no dispute, there's no debate, this is what we have, well, then that would just be the way it is, and we could all just talk about politics then and not worry about, well, the states can do this and the general government can do that and all these things. But what we have in black and white is clearly a federal system. And so the real defenders of centralization should be the centralizers. They should be saying, well, this is constitutional because of this, this, and this. 
and having proof for it, which they don't. Generally, it's just that this is what we've done. This is accepted. We have this Supreme Court case that says this. Or, uh, you know, we have, uh, we've done this before. We've done this previously. It doesn't mean it's right. You're, you're basing this on then a British unwritten model when the written model clearly indicates that's not what we have. All right, so I want to talk about this article. Um, it's uh, titled... Republicans' next big play is to scare the hell out of Washington by rewriting the Constitution. And they're willing to play the long game to win. And this is by Grace Panetta and Brent Griffiths, and it's at uh, Business Insider. The piece says, As former Republican Senator Rick Santorum addressed Republican lawmakers gathered in San Diego at the American Legislative Exchange Council Policy Summit, he detailed a plan to fundamentally remake the United States. It would become a conservative nation. Now, let me stop there. First of all, if Rick Santorum is your poster child, you've got problems. Okay, I'll say that. Now, Santorum is a name, and conservatives, just like anyone else, like to have a name. They like to have somebody that would promote. This is this is um, this is advertising. Look, this is an endorsement. We've got this former presidential candidate, this former senator, and we're he's he's on our side. He's with us. He, we're conservatives, right? A conservative nation. What does it even mean? What is a conservative nation? I mean, the, the, the fundamental core of American conservatism is not nationalism. It never has been. It's always been decentralization. It's always been real federalism. It's always been the federal republic. Now, you could say, yeah, but Marshall and Hamilton, they're conservatives. Uh, Marshall and Hamilton, particularly you know Marshall, was concerned about the influence of republicanism, Jacobinism more than anything else, on the central authority. And we had this wild, untamed wilderness, and you have all these people running around. He thought the French were going to come over and and abolish any type of conservative order in America, and that we were going to have you know Jacobins roaming the countrysides, lopping people's heads off. I mean, this is what he really believed, which is why he was much more interested in a strong central authority that could crack down on that stuff. Hamilton was very much the same way. This is the this is the Whiskey Rebellion. These people needed to be needed to be slammed because you know what? If we allow this to happen, we're going to see another French Revolution in America, and we didn't have that in the American War for Independence. But if we let this go, we're going to have it here. I mean, this is this is the thing. Conservatives are not nationalists, and we have to make that clear. Conservatives, American conservatism at its core, is decentralist because you're conserving the American system, which is a written constitution, a written federal republic. That becomes conservative. We can't sit here and say that American conservatives are the same as European conservatives. You, you can't do that. That's blending incompatible things in some ways. So American conservatism has to have at its core, at its foundation, this belief in decentralization. Now, simply pushing an Article 5 convention does that in some ways because you're saying the states can operate this way. The piece continues, And the transformation, Santorum said, culminates with an unprecedented event, a first-of-its-kind convention to rewrite the Constitution. Quote, You take this grenade and you pull the pin. You've got a live piece of ammo in your hand, Santorum, a two-time GOP presidential candidate and former CNN commentator, explained an audio of his remarks obtained by the left-leaning watchdog group the Center for Media and Democracy and shared with Insider. Quote, 34 states, if every Republican legislator votes for this, we have a constitutional convention. The watchdog is out there. Oh my gosh, these Republicans are trying to call a constitutional convention. How dare these people? How dare these people try to work through legal means <laughs> that are in the document itself? 
to change the system. How dare they do that? Don't they know the way that the left does it? They just do it and they don't ever change anything. They just say it's constitutional. That's the way to go. But no, no, no. These Republicans, these conservatives, they're trying to change it legally. How dare they? We need to have a watchdog out there making sure these people don't get what they want, which would be a constitutional convention. The December 2021 ALEC meeting represents a flashpoint in a movement spearheaded by powerful conservative interests, some of whom are tied to Trump world and share many of Trump's goals to alter the nation's bedrock legal text since 1788. It's an effort that has largely taken place out of public view. To alter the nation's bedrock legal text and said, well, I mean, have, have not the left been doing this now for, for decades? Of course they have. I mean, you can even, look, 150 years, they altered the bedrock legal text in the 1860s, right? The most important one being 1868 with the 14th Amendment. It's what everyone relies on now to, to simply say that we have a central authority that can do whatever it wants. I mean, that's the point, right? This is it. Uh, but this is, so if you're trying to do this, if you're trying to change the Constitution, trying to add amendments to the Constitution, trying to do something that would change, fundamentally change the structure, or at least give the states more control of things. I mean, you are, you are evil in America. The lefties are the Tories. The lefties are the royalists. The lefties are the people that have now... They, and I, I remember saying this to a leftist professor in the 1990s. You are the conservatives in the European model. You're the conservatives. You have the, you have the structure that you're trying to conserve. You have the power you're trying to conserve. You have the bureaucracy you're trying to conserve. You have the court you're trying to conserve. You are trying to conserve your power because you've gotten it without really using the Constitution. You've gotten it through a British model, through court decisions, and now you're trying to conserve that. That's all they're trying to do. But interviews with a dozen people involved in the Constitutional Convention movement, along with documents and audio recordings re reviewed by Insider, reveal a sprawling, well-funded, at least partly by cryptocurrency, an impassioned campaign taking root across multiple states. I mean, look at this. This is fueled, fueled by cryptocurrency. <gasps> oh my gosh. It's not even fueled by real money. It's fueled by crypto money. This is just shadowy. It's in the fringes. And these audio recordings show you the depth these people are willing to go to legally change the Constitution. Can you, can you come up with a better conspiracy than that? I mean, it's almost as if these people, you know, would agree that the Constitution itself was a conspiracy. I mean, but that would be right-wingers that say these things. Notably fueling them, success. During an extraordinary few weeks in June, the Supreme Court's three new Trump appointees powered the reversal of Roe v. Wade. They fortified gun rights and bolstered religious freedoms. Future presidents now have less power to confront the climate crisis. Each one is a product of a steady and, in some cases, decades-long quest by conservatives to bend the arc of history rightward. And again, um, has the left not been doing the exact same thing? I mean, it's, it's like these people are, don't have any self-awareness. This is what the left was doing. The progressives were doing for a hundred years. And they were playing the long game. And they knew it. The left understood in the 1880s. They started seeing they weren't going to win dramatic electoral victories. What they needed to do was use the courts. And what they needed to do was permeate organizations. 
It's gradualism. This is their this was their goal, and it it really uh, you know solidified in the 1950s and 60s. And so since then, and you can see 73 is just the tail end of the 1960s. Since then, there has been a push back the other way as the right started figuring out the left's game and they started mimicking it. I mean, the right is always slow to do these things, but they started mimicking the game. And you know what? There's a lot of conservatives out there who didn't like the way the United States was going and they're just simply pushing back and the left can't stand it. This isn't an exercise either. State lawmakers are invited to huddle in Denver starting on Sunday to learn more about the inner workings of a possible constitutional convention at Academy of States 3.0 the third installment of a boot camp preparing state lawmakers in anticipation of an, in, of an eminent Article 5 convention. Rob Nadelson, a constitutional scholar and senior fellow at the Independent Institute, who closely studies Article 5 of the Constitution, predicted to Insider that there's a 50% chance that the United States will witness a constitutional convention in the next five years. Whether it happens, he says, is highly dependent on Republican success winning state legislatures during the 2022 midterm elections. So, what Nate, now, Nadelson wrote a little book, and I think even the Tenth Amendment, I think the Tenth Amendment Center actually published it on the Constitution. I didn't like it as much. I thought he was too much of a nationalist. I think Nadelson is kind of a libertarian nationalist in some ways, but um, I, I thought that he was far too weak on decentralization, far too weak on real federalism. He just wasn't as good on those things. But notice what he says here. This all hinges on what happens at the local level. It all happens, hinges on what happens at the state level. You see, again, the states are the building blocks. If the states decide they want to tear down the system, they can do it. They can do it, and all these nincompoops who are writing at Business Insider and all these lefties out there can't do anything about it. They can't do anything about it because it would be legal, right? It isn't something that would happen illegally like Lincoln's War on the South. It wouldn't be something that would happen illegally like... Um, you know, simply bypassing the Constitution and throwing out the written document and just going to an unwritten model, which even though the court might say this is legal, it's really not. It wouldn't be anything like that. It wouldn't be extra legal. It would be simply legal. This is what they're doing. So it depends on what happens at the state level. That's why I said this is a Think Locally, Act Locally episode, because what happens at, at the state level in your own districts, in your own state legislative districts, is going to determine in a lot of these states, and I'm going to talk about this map in a second, what happens with this Article 5 idea, whether you like it or not. I'm, I'm all for trying to come up with ways to create a mechanism to try to rein in federal power. I mean, it, federal power is dangerous for everybody, left and right. So um, we need to ensure that there are checks on that. And if the, the only thing I would love to see, you have one amendment to the Constitution, that would be it. It would be an enforcement mechanism for the Tenth Amendment because the Constitution is fine if the Tenth Amendment could be enforced. And so if there was some type of, uh, of, a, of a referee, and it could just be the states themselves codifying this. Now, we know it's, it's, a, it's a reserve power, right? I mean, the whole idea of reserve powers, we know that's there. I don't even think you need to do it. But people would say, well, it doesn't say the states can do this in the Constitution, right? So then add it in there. Right? I mean, if we're going to take the, the Lincolnian view of the Constitution and it has to say express, expressly say it has to do, well, then fine. Put it in the Constitution. This is the, this is the enforcement mechanism for the Tenth Amendment. There's, the states can do it. The states can invalidate a federal law. The states can, I mean, put it in there, right? If you could do that, then you would have a system that would be more responsive to what the founding generation actually said when they sold the Constitution to the states. 
The piece says, But not everyone in the conservative constitutional convention movement believes such a gathering is so imminent. It will likely take years more work to reach their goal if they ever do. At minimum, Republicans will need to flip several Democratic-controlled state legislatures and convince remaining GOP holdouts of the necessity for a convention. Now, let me look at, looking at this map, they've got a map there of states that have passed the call for a, for a convention, made progress, or failed. And some states haven't even attempted. So when you look at the map, you see that the South and some of the West, and even some of the Midwest, have actually passed a call for a constitutional convention. There are some other states like Virginia, North Carolina, New Hampshire, New Mexico, uh, South Dakota, and Iowa that have made progress in this way but haven't passed it. And there are states that have outright rejected it. And that would be places like Wyoming and Colorado and Kansas, Kentucky, Ohio, Illinois, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, New Jersey, New York, Vermont, Massachusetts, um, Maine, uh, Rhode Island. But you're basically looking at a north-south split. You're looking at, in the states that have rejected it, primarily are states that are leftists. They're progressives. They think the Constitution works just as it is. They don't want to see any kind of checks on their power, right? So this is where it will be difficult because you don't have enough states here. And see, in 17, enough states to do it yet. In 1787, all the states looked at it and said, all right, we've got some fundamental problems with the system uh, at least the, the leadership in some of the in, in every state. We've got fundamental problems with the system. Let's call a convention. Okay. Progressives love the way the system works. Now, you could say, you could say that because of these court decisions, maybe you're going to see Democrats a little more willing to work the other way, but they know something. They know that um, conservatives would dominate the convention, at least hypothetically. They would dominate the convention. So they're not going to get necessarily what they want. So just keep it. The piece continues, but during the past several decades, they've made progress, late, uh, lately a lot, and now they have a plan. Article 5 to the U.S. Constitution provides two ways to amend the nation's organizing document. The most difficult but most dramatic way to alter America's society, society's, American society's very foundation. Again, saying that the Constitution is the foundation of American society is just ridiculous. We're, we're, we're in a point now we have no concept of what American society, the foundation of that is. You're saying a government does this? The government doesn't do that at all. It organizes a government, right? The Constitution organizes a government. It doesn't, it doesn't found society. It's just stupid. But see, this is Lincoln, 1838. It's the, it's the uh, you know, secular religion stuff. This is what we're getting. The first is for a two-thirds majority of Congress to propose an amendment with three-fourths of the states ratifying it. This is how all 27 of the current amendments to the Constitution were added. But... It's a path that today is largely blocked because of intractable, intractable I'm sorry, partisan div divisions. No American under 30 has experienced the nation amending the Constitution in his or her lifetime. The second method, never before accomplished, involves two-thirds of the U.S. states to call a convention. The power to call for a convention belongs solely to state legislatures who would pass and ratify amendments without a governor's signature, Congress's intervention, or any input from the president. Now, this is funny because, you see, the left has been worried about the independent state legislature doctrine, right? Where the state legislatures have all the power and uh, there, there's no other, no other way for the states to, to, uh, work, to work this when it comes to redistricting. But what this piece essentially admits is that the founders were perfectly comfortable with the state legislatures doing these things. Working independently without the influence of a governor or a court or anything else. 
But you see, this is worry. This is worrisome for these for these leftists. It wouldn't have Congress's intervention or any put input from the president. Oh no! How can that be? We gotta have the president input. We gotta have the king saying this is what we have to do. And Congress, we can't have Alexandria Ocasio Cortez doing something, or Chuck Schumer or Nancy Pelosi. How terrible! Some states have tried and tried without result to prompt a constitutional convention. They've together issued hundreds of pro-convention resolutions or calls over 200 years to reroute constitutional amendment powers away from Washington. What's new now is the ever-evolving power coupling of a corporation-backed ideological juggernaut led by ALEC, a nonprofit organization with close ties to large tobacco and drug companies, and a determined Republican Party increasingly dominating many of the nation's 50 state houses. So this is all about corporate greed. This is tobacco and drugs. They're out there trying to make people sick. If they were successful, a constitutional convention led by conservatives could trigger sweeping changes of the Constitution. Their goals include getting federal environmental standards, gutting, I'm sorry, federal, federal environmental standards, nixing nationwide education requirements, and creating an incredibly high threshold for Washington, D.C. or a territory to earn statehood. Some will make it difficult, if not impossible, for someone, National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease Director Anthony Fauci, for example, to work for decades within the federal government. Oh my gosh, they would get rid of Fauci. I mean, can you imagine how terrible that would be if we got rid of Fauci? Make it hard for Fauci. Now, see, again, uh, if you just had a state mechanism, you could just say, well, none of these things are going to work anyways. Former president, a state mechanism to, to invalidate federal law, I should say, an enforcement mechanism for the 10th Amendment. Former President Donald Trump, close to announcing a campaign for a second term in office, would find much to love about the con convention movement. I mean, this is a kiss of death, right, according to the lefties. If Donald Trump likes it, it's terrible. He's argued that Article 2 gave him sweeping presidential powers akin to Richard Nixon's famous declaration that when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. Trump also attempted to claim that he could unilaterally end birthright citizenship. He could not. And repeatedly argued the White House didn't have to comply with congressional subpoenas. Um, now, Trump isn't the first one, and Richard Nixon's not the only one. Look, executive abuse is something that's been going on since 1861, right? And you can even go back before that. It's what nine presidents who screwed up America was all about. You go back to Washington and Jackson, for example. There's plenty of executive abuse out there. And this is, Calhoun talked about this, that the real problem was not the president, though, it was the Congress and, and punting its responsibility. The planks of the Convention of States movement, such as term limits for federal bureaucrats in addition to members of Congress, stand to attract acolytes of Trumpism, savoring the means to magify the Constitution and therefore the nation. See, this is, this is the problem. You know, you've got uh, all these people trying to magify things. Uh, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't limit Fauci. You can't, you can't limit him in office. What are we doing here? You can't do that. This is the problem. It's just Trump all over again. In fact, it already has. Constitutional convention boosters include many of Trump's current and former allies, including conservative legal scholar John Eastman, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and Fox News personalities like Sean Hannity and Mark Levin. Eastman, who recently had his phone seized by federal agents investigating Trump's attempts to overturn the 2020 presidential election results, attended a 2016 mock convention hosted by the Convention of States. It's the most extraordinary thing in my career that I've ever been a part of, Eastman said in a video produced by the convention simulation organizers. The process actually works. 
Six years later, the Academy of States 3.0 is taking place Sunday ahead of the National Conference of State Legislature's 2022 Summit in Denver. On his website, the group boldly forecasts that a new constitutional convention should, could take place in 24 months and quotes former President Barack Obama in emphasizing you can't change Washington from the inside. Well, there you go. I mean, if, if I mean, my gosh, these people are taking Obama away from Obama. I would agree with Obama on this. You can't change Washington from the inside. Look, Obama knows. This is, I mean, Obama knows this. Right? People on the left know it, too. Obama was a community organizer. He knows the power of working from the bottom up. Now, Obama also knows the power from the top down and what you can do there. But he's also seen that no matter what you do, the next guy in with a pen and the phone can undo what you've done. So, see, this is the issue. Uh, if, if this is structurally put in place, and none of this stuff can happen. And I think America would be a much happier place with the structure there because you couldn't wiggle around it anymore. It's a heavy lift, but it's not out of reach. Arne Pearson, the Center for Media and Democracy's executive director and close watcher of the convention movement, told Insider, I think it's a real threat. It's a real threat to have people actually do something legally, you see. Illegally, progressives are fine with. Legally, though, we can't have this happen. We can't have these people we despise actually out there doing something legal to change the Constitution. It just cannot happen. Conservatives have embraced the political long game in achieving their most prized policy goals, like the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and the movement to call a convention may be no different. For the last 25 years, the people in the pro-life movement did the blocking and tackling necessary for this day to come, Santorum said at the December 2020 ALEC summit. No one five years ago would have said that Roe v. Wade would be overturned. No one in this room. The GOP spent decades investing in control of state legislatures through well-funded and resourced groups like the Republican State Leadership Committee, which has spent tens of millions over the last few decades locking down GOP control of state legislatures, statewide offices, and judgeships. They're working from the bottom up. This is how important this stuff is. Okay, and I, I mean, people have recognized this. I'm not the only one, but um, we focus so much on the center that we forget about this stuff. And there have been people doing this work for a while. Those sustained investments have secured GOP dominance in state legislatures for a generation and guaranteed the GOP would also have the upper hand in the convention. And a report by the Center for Media and Democracy, first shared with Insider, finds that Republicans would control at least 27 and up to 31 of the 50 delegations to a convention, based on delegate selection process and applications passed thus far. That's still a tad short of what would ultimately be needed to make any changes. Two-thirds of the state legislatures are needed to call a convention, and three-fourths must vote to ratify any amendments. Notably, governors, Congress, and the White House have no role in this specific process, well, that's a good thing, right? You just bypass the entire center. It shows you that the states have all the power. The states have always had all the power. This is what Insider can't figure out. But the movement's most devoted supporters, like Santorum, say they're in for the long haul, and they argue that changing the Constitution is a goal, is a goal existential to America's existence that looms larger than any single election cycle. Yeah, we'll have a good election, but the movement is inextricable. Why? Because every institution in America is against us, Santorum said, invoking the founders and their vision of federalism. I say to you as Republican state legislatures that you actually have the key. He's right about that. He's right about that. They actually do have the key. The states can, can change the entire thing. And this is where I think that um, thinking locally and acting locally is the way forward. It always has been. Activists also say that, Congress, uh, that with Congress sharply divided, a convention would seem an unmistakable message to send an unmistakable message to Washington that lawmakers need to change their way or to prepare to get run over. 
The states have, law, have sort of lost their voice, and all we can do now is beg from the cheap seats and say, hey, don't do that, said State Representative Bill Taylor of South Carolina, who led his state's push to pass a call for a convention. Faced with a Washington dominated by Democrats, many conservatives want to unleash a force to put the nation's capital on notice. The idea of states coming together is going to scare the living hell out of Washington, Taylor told Insider. They're going to be terrified of the states. Well, you see, the states always have all the power, and it's, this is true. Um, and I think that's the lost, it's the, it's the dirty little secret in this entire federal system, which is where um, it's where the, the, the center is. The progressives are scared of the states. And the states, I mean, look, on so many issues, what the 10th Amendment Center has shown, the central government has, the emperor has no clothes. They can't do anything about some of these things when the states push back in a variety of ways, not just through a convention, but other ways too. The right isn't alone in pursuing a convention. On the left, Senk Unger, a progressive commentator, founded Wolfpack in the wake of the Supreme Court's landmark 2010 decision in Citizens United v. Federal Elections Commission that accelerated an era of big-money politics. Five Democratic states passed Wolfpack's call for a campaign finance reform-focused convention, California, New, Year New Jersey, Illinois, Vermont, and Rhode Island. Your Gazette organization is pressing forward even as Illinois and New Jersey rescinded their calls out of fear of a conservative-dominated convention. Wolfpack's early momentum also spooked some of the right, an illustration of the unusual alliances on both sides of the movement. In 2012, the Republican National Committee went so far as to pass a resolution formally opposing the convention movement. But now in 2022, convention proponents have political wins at their backs. The movement right now seems to be gaining steam, and what's interesting is it seems to be gaining steam on both left and right, Carla Jones, Senior Director of International Relations and Federalism at ALEC, told Insider. The feeling that Washington, D.C. has become a cause for the nation's problems rather than a solution is becoming universal on both sides of the aisle. Well, I, I agree. So, uh, I mean, again, the piece continues, and I, I don't want to keep belaboring the point and going on and on about this because we're getting, we're getting way long on the, on the show here. But the piece continues. It talks about a runaway convention. It gets into some of these things. But the point is, People on the left and the right are finally realizing this is the way forward. Now, the left and the business insider, they, they're terrible because it doesn't have the president or the courts or anything else involved. How, how dare we do this? But the real issue here, of course, is that you control this. The state legislatures, left and right, can control this. And we could have a convention where we could have real conversations about things that are problems in American government and the, the structure of American government. All those things could be addressed in a convention. And it shows... Whether the, whether the centralizers, the Lincolnians, want to admit it or not, it shows that the states still have all the power. And that means you still have all the power because you have more power in your states than you do anywhere else. And the center simply doesn't have the authority to stop it. And this is, again, the fear of the peace. The president can't stop it. The Congress can't stop it. Oh, my gosh, the courts can't even stop it. Well... If this is what the people want, the people of the states, if they want to change the entire system, they can do it. And these are conversations we should be having in a healthy Republican society, lowercase r, Republican society. We should have these conversations on a regular basis. We just don't because the progressives have bulldozed everything beginning in the 1860s. And we have this Lincolnian nationalist myth that's completely false. We have to get around that. That Copperheads class that uh, I, I have at McClanahan Academy, reading Abraham Lincoln, reading John C. Calhoun, but the Copperheads class, by the way, a couple more days if you're listening to this, through this Thursday, 
I'm going to give you that $60 off. So use that coupon code COPPERHEADS if you're getting this the first week of August 2022. I'll, I've let it go a couple more days because people are, are really excited about it. So we're going to keep it going. $60 off. Use the coupon code COPPERHEADS. I'll see you tomorrow on the Brian McLean Hand Show. See you then.